Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. My name is Mark, and uh, I don't know if you guys are aware of this all, but uh, Trinity Galewood is part of a larger church family that we call Trinity, four different uh, locations, and I am privileged to be a senior pastor, so I get to bounce around to all four of those. Uh, so I'm here about once a month with you guys, and it's really a joy and a pr- privilege to be here with you. Before we get to the message this morning, would you bow your heads and would you pray together with me? Lord, I just want to pray that the words... I'm about to speak, and the thoughts that we think is together, we meditate on your word for us. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, who is the source of everything in our lives. Amen. So uh, I want to tell you about a story, something that happened to me almost 20 years ago today. And, And I want to tell you, this is an absolutely true story. Okay, sometimes I know public speakers might enhance stories a little bit, you know, I'm not enhancing this. This actually really happened to me. So um, I had been at the hospital for a test, um, and the nurse who was helping the technician administer this test to me, she said to me, she said, I just want to tell you, one of the side effects from this test that some people have is they get a little headache. I swear they teach nurses uh, the power of understatement when they go to school. I had the worst headache I've ever had in my life. I mean, just just walking outside into the sunlight, I I thought I was going to die. I mean, it was just this terrible headache. And all I wanted to do was get in my car and drive home and get in bed and pull the covers over my head and, and sleep it off till this headache was gone. That's all I wanted to do. So I get in my car and I start to drive home and I remember... I'm like running on fumes in my car. I'm like, I gotta stop for gas. And, uh, and so I pull into this gas station that was about a mile from my house. And I just, again, I just want to get gas in this car and I want to get home. My head is killing me. And I'm sitting there at the, at the pump and I'm pumping. And all of a sudden I hear this boom, boom, boom. And it's starting to get louder. And I look up and there is a car coming down the road and had one of these huge subwoofers in the back. You know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You can't hear music, but you can hear the bass. You can hear boom, boom. And as it got closer, every boom, my head just went, oh, oh. And, and, and I'm like, please, God, don't let it pull into this gas station. Please, guess what? Pulls right into the gas station. Pulls right up. I'm on this side of the pumps. Pulls right up on the other side of the pumps. Now, it was like a beat up Toyota Corolla or something like that, you know, a hatchback. And there's three teenage boys in this car. And, uh, and as they pull up, this thing is just going boom, boom. And every boom, my head feels like it's about to explode. And, uh, and so the driver um, gets out to pump the gas. And I'm afraid, let me, how can I say this? I'm afraid I gave him a not so nice look. Let's just put it that way, all right? Um, I, I scowled at him, you know. Well, he didn't even notice because he's got a job to do. He's going to pump gas. He didn't even notice. But the passenger, the guy sitting in the passenger side, saw me give him this dirty look, and he reached over, and he turned the volume up. <laughs> and it went boom, boom, 
the rear window of the car shattered into a million pieces. I'm not kidding you. It was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> now, uh, I mean, it was great. The, the guy pumping gas was like, what'd you do to my car? And the guy sitting in the back seat is like, like there's glass all over me, you know? And the, and the passenger's just like, I don't know. And I'm just sitting there going, awesome, you know? <laughs> But uh, so, so here's why I tell you guys that story today, uh, because we're talking during this series called Stewards about money and, uh, and talking about money at church gives most people a huge headache. I mean, it does, right? Last thing in the world you want to talk about when you come to church is money. And, uh, and, and so I get that. I understand that that's not a fun thing to talk about, especially at church. And especially when, by the way, a lot of people feel like churches don't exactly have a great track record when it comes to investing people's money, right? I mean, I don't know if you saw the story in the news, was it maybe two months ago, about the pastor out east that bought his wife a Lamborghini for her birthday, you know? It's like something's messed up there, right? So I get it. When we talk about money as a church, it gives us a headache. But here's the other reason I told you that story. Because when we study the things that Jesus actually said about money, and by the way, Jesus talked about money maybe more than anything else. When, when we study the things that Jesus said about money, here's what happens. There are these things in our life, these long-held opinions that go and get shattered. Because you see, we've all been taught stuff, either intentionally or unintentionally, about money our whole lives from little on, and a lot of it is just flat out wrong. And so when we study Jesus' words, what he had to say about money, there's some stuff in our lives that needs to shatter, that needs to get broken so that we can have a better understanding of what a gift money can be, what an incredible tool it can be in our lives. And so that's why we're doing this. That's why we're talking about this series. Now, a lot of people say, okay, so, so what do you mean? Why do we have to talk about money? Well, this is one of the things that Jesus said about money that I think, by the way, is especially brilliant. You heard it in just the reading uh, just a little bit ago. Jesus said this. He said, where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. Now, now by the way, when I first heard that, I thought, Jesus, you got it backwards. I mean, think about it. Um, I would have believed, I had been taught growing up, that, that no, your treasure is where your heart is. So if I love something a lot, I'm going to invest more in that, right? I love to golf. Um, my son the other day, my son, he, I have a son who's on the autism spectrum. He's, uh, he's got Asperger's, and he's 24 years old now. And, uh, and, and you know, so he sees life a little differently. And he calls me up the other day, I'm not kidding you, and he goes, Dad, I need to know how much you spend on golf every month. And I'm like, I'm not telling you that. <laughs> why do you want to, I don't want to think about that. Why, why are you asking me that? He said, well, because um, I, I think I know about what you make. And so I'm trying to figure out what a, a good percentage is for my hobby in my life. And I'm trying to budget myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, kid, geez. You know, anyway. Um, but but so, so I was thought, I would have, I would have believed that, that because I love golf, I'm willing to invest in it, right? Where my heart is, there my treasure is. But Jesus says, No. Jesus says it's the opposite. It's, in fact, where our treasure is, there our heart is. When we invest our finances in something, our heart follows. And, uh, and, and so one of the reasons as a church we talk about money is because Jesus says there's this amazing connection between our money and our heart. 
Now, do you think your church ought to care about your heart? I hope so. And Jesus says, if that's the case, then we need to care about what you're doing with your money, too. So that's one reason we as a church talk about money. Here's another one. I don't know if you heard it in that reading, but Jesus literally said, you can't serve God and money. Now, think about all the things Jesus could have said. You can't serve God and Satan. Well, true. You can't serve God and your job. You can't serve God and, and uh, you know, he could have gone on and on and on with all these different things. But the one Jesus chose was money. And again, I think that's because Jesus understood even back then in their society as now that materialism can be something that can grab a hold of us in just an amazing way. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But, but then finally, you might say, well, I don't like the fact that church talks about money because, again, churches don't have a great track record uh, with money. And in fact, you know, you will talk to people on the street and they will tell you, I don't go to church because all the church ever cares about is your money, right? Have you heard that from people? I know I have. But here's the deal, folks. The, the reason we are doing this series, the reason we as a church family at all four of our campuses are talking about money is because it's not because it's not it's not because of what we want from you. It's about what we want for you. Let me say that one more time. It's not what we want from you. It's what we want for you. I always say this whenever we're doing one of these series. If yesterday someone had got out their checkbook and written me a check to cover all of our expenses for all four of our campuses um, just for the whole year, they would have said, here you go. Tell me, what, what's the annual budget? Here it is. Boom. There's the check. We'd still be talking about this today. Because really, this is not about making a budget for our church. This is about helping you understand the power of money in your life, and even more than that, the power of generosity in your life. By the way, if anybody wants to write me that check, see me after the service, right? We can talk, right? <laughs> um, we live in a world that is consumed by materialism. One of my favorite books is this book. It's called Material World. Any of you ever seen this book? You should check it out, okay? Um, and literally, check it out. Go to a library, check it out, okay? Um, it's called Material World, and here's the, here's the backstory. It's more of a coffee table kind of book, uh, but it's, a, it's a, a, a journalist spent a couple of years living for about a month with families all over the world. Um, he, he'd spent about a month with them so he could really get to understand their routine, how they lived their life, what was important to them. And then the last thing he would do before he would leave is he invited them and to take all of their possessions and put them out like just outside their home and take a picture of them with their possessions and their home. Now, this is actually the family that he lived in Tibet with. Uh, you can see, and that's, that's like all their possessions in the world right there. Um, this is the family in Texas he lived with. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I want you to imagine for a second, and you know, maybe some of you are a little earlier in life than I am. The longer you live, the more stuff you accumulate. Let me tell you, we've lived in our house for, let's see, 16 years now, and we're starting to think about downsizing, and I don't even want to think about it, right? We just accumulate so much stuff. Um, and there's, a, there's a, a Christian writer, his name's Michael Card, and he has a song called The Things We Leave Behind. Um, and it, the, the chorus is, it's hard to imagine the freedom we find from the things we leave behind. The, the idea of the song is, all too often, we don't own our stuff. Our stuff owns us. We live in such a, a society that's just consumed with materialism. And, and so what Jesus has to say and what, what 
his word teaches us about money is so important for us to understand. So let's take a look at these words of Jesus. This is, this is one of the things he said. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. In other words, what Jesus is talking about is he's talking about how we invest our money. He's talking about, how, I mean, because we all earn money, right? In, in one way or another, we all find a way to get money. The question is, how do you then invest that money? What are, you, what are you spending that money on? What are you investing that money in? And Jesus says, you've got two options. You can invest in the things of this earth, the kind of stuff we saw on that lawn of the people in Texas in the last slide. He said, but the problem with that stuff is, it's, it's, it doesn't last. It, it, it falls apart. It, it, uh, it gets stolen. Moths and thieves Steal and corrupt, Jesus says. It's not eternal. He says, or you can invest in things that last. You can literally invest in things that are eternal. Jesus says, storing up treasures in heaven. Things like investing in people and relationships. Things that make an eternal difference in people's lives. What are you going to invest in, Jesus asks. Now, by the way, if you were paying attention uh, to that reading, you might have been a little confused. Did, did anybody notice this? That Jesus starts talking about money. He says, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Then he talks about your eye. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, and depending on what you see affects what happens inside of you. And then he goes back to talk about money, about not serving. Did you notice that? It's almost like Jesus has ADHD, you know? He's like, oh, I'm going to talk about money. Squirrel! Oh, yeah, back to money, Right? But, but that's not what's going on here. Let me help you understand what's going on here. Jesus is trying to help us understand kind of the source of that materialism in our lives because literally our eyes are bombarded every day with the message that says this. You've got a problem in your life and this thing that I want to sell you will solve that problem. I mean, that really is the script for every single commercial you see on television. Think about it. There's a problem, this will fix it, buy it. We're bombarded with that message constantly. And think about what that message is really telling us. It's telling us that the solution for the problems in our lives are out there and it's stuff. So that's what Jesus is talking about. He says, see, there's this problem. There's this problem with money in our lives, and there's a connection, a strong connection between our money and our heart. And, uh, and, and he says, and by the way, that connection has the power to tear us away from God, the one that created us, the one that loves us. In another place in the Bible, it says that love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it literally says some people have wandered away from their faith because of materialism, because of the power of money in our lives. And in the middle of that, Jesus says, and here's where the rubber meets the road on that is, what does your eye focus on? And if you are driven by what your eye focuses on, if you invest your money based on the latest thing that you see, you're gonna have a problem. Um, don't ever tell anyone I told you this, because I will deny it, but my sister-in-law has a problem, all right? Her idea of a good time on Friday night is a bowl of popcorn, an adult beverage, and QVC on the television. 
literally, she will sit, I'm not kidding you, she will sit down and go, I need to find something to buy tonight. And whatever her, I mean, it's not like she's going, I'm looking for this or this. She doesn't know what she's looking for. She doesn't care. She's going to see something cool and she's going to buy it. And by the way, guess what I get for Christmas? (laughs) Whatever she found on QVC, right? That's what Jesus is warning against. He's warning against this idea that that if we just simply let what we see, in other words, if we um, let ourselves get pulled this way and that way um, by the investing of our money, we have a problem. And, and And the solution to that, Jesus says, is to be intentional about our money. It's just that simple. Be intentional about our money. Paul also says it this way. He was writing uh, to the church in in Corinth, and he was talking to them about giving for some work that he was doing among the poor in Jerusalem. And this is what he said. He said, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. In other words, Paul says, don't let me pull on your heartstrings and let you make a spur-of-the-moment decision here. He says, I want you to think about it. I want you to make a decision I want you to pray about it. I want you to sit down with the significant people in your life and, and make an intentional decision. And so that's why in this second week of this series, I don't know if you noticed on the theme slide before, there's four words. The word for this week is intentionality. We, we want to talk about one of the principles of how we invest our money should be intentionality that we need to give it prayerful thought about what we want to do. And, uh, and by the way, uh, we have a tool in our, in our Trinity family that we use to help us with this, and it's this thing called the generosity ladder. And the first time I ever saw this, there was a pastor by the name of Nelson Searcy, who, uh, I don't know if he came up with the idea or whether, um, like most pastors, he stole it from somebody and, and we all use it, you know, but, uh, but, um, but it's called the generosity ladder. It's a way of helping you think through how you can be a generous steward of God's resources in your life. And I'm gonna spend just the the rest of this time with you today just helping you think through it. It helps you think about where you are now and it helps you think about is God calling you to take a step, okay? Now, it, it starts down in the bottom here and I don't know if you can read it, but down in the bottom it says first time down there. The fact is, studies tell us that about half the people that go to a church don't give to that church. It's about half. And by the way, um, sometimes regular church people hear that and they think, oh, that's terrible. I don't think it's terrible at all. I think it's great. Because here's what that means. It means that, that churches are places where people feel comfortable to come and hang around and learn and, and, and try to decide what they feel or believe. And, and I know Pastor Dave's heart. I know the heart of the people here at Trinity Galewood is exactly that, that Trinity Galewood would be a place where everyone's welcome. It doesn't matter whether you figured out what you think about Jesus yet or not. It doesn't matter whether you've, you're going to give or not. It's just a place where you are welcome. But at some point in your walk with Jesus, if you take his word seriously about where your treasure is, there your heart is, you've got to make a decision, am I going to give to support the mission here in this place? Now, it's really an easy first step on the ladder, right? That's easy, right? But it's a hard first step in real life. It's a huge first step. I mean, literally think about that. What you're saying is, I trust the ministry in this place. I trust that this place is making a difference in people's lives, and I want to invest in that. 
I'm taking Jesus' word seriously. I don't want to invest my treasures in something that's not going to last. I want to invest in heaven. I want to invest in things that are going to last. And I believe this church is doing that. And I want to be a part of it. It's a huge first step. By the way, it's an especially huge first step if you do it in a way that you can be identified. If you throw 20 bucks in the, in the collection plate, that's great. That's a big step for you. But if you put your name on a check or on an envelope, now you're saying, not only am I going to give to this, but I'm going to let you know that I'm giving to this. It's a big step, and we get that. Now, interestingly enough, once you take that first step, the second step normally happens pretty quickly and pretty easily. And uh, that second step, by the way, that's as high as I'm going on this ladder, right? <laughs> that, uh, you all were going, don't go any higher. I can see this, right? Yeah. No, the second step is just that you become an occasional giver, right? After you make that decision, yes, I believe in this ministry. I, I want to invest in things that are going to last. And I think this, this ministry is making a difference in people's lives and in this community. And I want to be a part of that. That's to say, and from time to time, you know, when I have the availability or when my heart is moved, I'm going to give. That's a fairly easy step. So a lot of people fairly quickly move from being first-time givers to occasional givers to a ministry or to something that they feel important, is important in their lives. The next step then is to become an intentional giver. And again, I want to talk about how important that really is. See, because if, if we simply only give when our heart gets tugged for something, you know, you're sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden there's these cute little puppies and they start talking about, you know, this, 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 um, this, this nonprofit that helps, you know, pull dogs off the street and help them find a home. You're like, oh yeah, I want to help with that, right? That's great. That's a good thing. And by the way, when we feel that urge, that, that's a little part of God in us wanting to make a difference, right? But if that's the only way we ever give, the problem is that it, it's, it's simply just a further step of what Jesus was saying before our eye getting caught on something, right? No, the, the, the way that God has a plan for our lives is that we would be intentional, that we would be prayerful, that we would talk with the important people in our lives, like my wife and I sit down and we have a conversation every year about what are we going to give this year and um, are we giving the right amount now and what, what are our next steps in that? And I, I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite conversations that we have every year. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is, right? It's a heart conversation for us. And we, we, do, we pray together, and, and we seek God's will together, and it's just a wonderful thing. And intentional giving can mean a lot of different things to different people. It could be as simple as, I'm going to give 10 bucks a year. But that's my plan. I'm going to be intentional about it. Or it can be 10 bucks a month or 10 bucks a week, whatever it is. It's not the amount that matters. It's the fact that you've prayed about it, that you've sought God's will about it, that you've become intentional about it that matters. The next step beyond being intentional is a very specific kind of intentional giving that the Bible calls tithing. Now, now, let me explain to you what tithing is if you've never heard that term before. It's an Old Testament word. It comes from the book of Malachi and, uh, and from the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. And it's literally taking the first 10% of whatever you get and giving that away. Now, let me talk about that. First of all, it is 10%. You know, when we first started using this giving ladder uh, at Trinity, um, after we taught about it for a while, then we asked people, tell us, tell us what you're doing. 
Tell us what your plan is. We don't, we don't know, I want to know how much. That's not, what, that's not why we're doing this. We just want to know where you at on the ladder. What's your plan? And, and we had a whole bunch of people that said, we are tithers. Like, that's awesome, you know? I think it was like 18% of the people that filled out our thing said they were tithers. We're like, that's really great. A year later, we did it again. And, uh, and, and 11% said they were tithers. And we're like, what happened? And so we knew who some of those people were, right? Because they had their names on there. And so I just made some phone calls. You know what I found out? They were like, uh, we thought we were tithing, but we didn't know that was 10%. <laughs> so we're not really tithing, right? Okay. And tithing is taking that first 10%. By the way, here's another. I, this, this question cracks me up. I get it every once in a while. Someone will come to me, and they've just retired, and they'll go, oh, okay, Pastor, um, uh, we're giving from our IRA right now. And we kind of already tithed on that money before we put it in the IRA. <laughs> so is it pre-tithed or post-tithed dollars, you know? <laughs> and, and the answer to all those is, I don't know, what do you think? Because really, it's not about the money, right? It's about what God is doing in people's lives. But here's why the tithe is such a crucial thing and such a crucial step of faith. Because what tithing says is, God, I'm going to trust you because it's not just 10%, it's the first 10%. So for us, you know, you, we get a paycheck. You take 10%, it's fairly easy. But, but imagine you're that farmer, and you go out in your field, and you get the first 10% of the harvest in, and you don't even know whether you're going to get the other 90%. What if the weather changes? What if the fields get wet? What if... But you take that first 10%, and you go, God, I'm going to give that to you, and I'm going to trust that you're gonna, you got my back with the rest of it. It's huge. Tithing is a huge step of faith because ultimately what tithing says is, God, I'm going to trust that you are the one that provides for me, that my well-being is not in my hands, it's in your hands. I have a, a good friend, uh, one of my roommates at Concordia, by the way. I went to Concordia here. He was one of my roommates from Concordia. And uh, he had been out of work for about a year. This was about five or six years after we had been in college. And uh, I, I was golfing with him and, and uh, he had been out of work for about a year. And I go, this has got to be scary. He's going, oh, it's terrifying. And I said, you know God's going to take care of you though, right? And he goes, I know God's going to take care of me. I'm just afraid he's not going to take care of me at the level I want to be taken care of. <laughs> I thought, wow, that's pretty honest, you know? But that's true, isn't it? Tithing says, God, look, I'm gonna trust you that you're the one that's in, in charge of my finances. You're the one um, that is gonna decide what you're gonna give me and what you're not, and I'm gonna be okay with that. That's a huge step. And then uh, there are a lot of people that believe that that's the last step, that once you get to tithing, you've arrived, Right? But the Bible, interestingly enough, doesn't say that. It's almost like if you really read through stuff in the Bible, tithing is the floor, not the ceiling. It's kind of the starting point. Um, there's a guy at our church. Um, he doesn't want me to share who he is because this is, this is between him, God, and I guess me. I guess he lets me on it. But he told me a few years ago that his goal is to become a reverse tither. In other words, his goal is to live on 10% of what he gets and give away 90% of it. He just wants to be that generous. Uh, about two years ago, he pulled me aside and said, halfway there. He crossed that point where he was actually giving away more than he was living on. And I don't know if he'll ever make it, but that's his dream, Right? There's this thing that we call being an extravagant giver that, that says, you know, I'm not going to stop at 10%. I'm going to keep doing all I can 
to be generous and, and give away and live on less and, and make a difference and invest more. Um, by the way, I have another friend of mine. He's a pastor down in uh, Houston. Um, and uh, and he, uh, he had seen me speak at a conference about this generosity ladder that we use at church and how we use it. And so he decided he was going to use it for his church. And he sent me the link to his sermon that he preached on it. And he had a ladder like this, only it was bigger. Um, I think it was sturdier. Um, and, uh, um, and what he did is, for this last one, he went to the ladder and he climbed all the way up and he stood on that top. And then he said this, it was so good. He goes, it's really scary up here, but the view is amazing. I mean, think about that. I think giving beyond a tithe is scary stuff, but the view is amazing. The opportunity to be making a difference is amazing. Um, so two years ago for my birthday, my wife gave me um, that, one of those DNA tests where you could find out you know, what you are. And, uh, and so uh, my birthday's in May, so I got it, this was two years ago, so I got it um, almost two years ago. Um, and, and I took the test, takes, takes about a month for you to get your results. I get my results and I open them up and I thought it was gonna be like 90% German, you know? I mean, I had a name like Schultz, come on, are you kidding me, right? Um, and it was, it was like, 60% German, you know, blah, blah, blah. And there are a few other things. It was kind of cool. Some Scandinavian in there I didn't know about. But here was the one that got me really excited. 2% Irish. Last St. Patrick's Day was awesome. <laughs> I mean, serious, I'm like, I'm Irish. I got an excuse. This is great. So I've never been downtown to see the river dyed green before. We were downtown. See the river dyed green. I'm wearing my green sweatshirt. And I'm, I'm like, I'm Irish. This is awesome. Last year was the most amazing St. Patrick's Day. So St. Patrick's Day is coming again, right? So I'm starting to get geared up again. I'm not kidding you. Last week, I get an email from the Ancestry DNA people. We have updated your results. I'm like, oh, cool. I open it up. First thing I see is, no longer on the list, Irish. I'm like, what the heck? First of all, now it feels like last year was just a lie, right? But, uh, but like, I don't care about St. Patrick's Day anymore now, right? There was something, and I'm, I know this sounds silly, but honestly, it was absolutely true for me. There was something so cool when I actually thought I was Irish. I'm not. There's something so amazing about God's work when we are invested in it. When our heart and our treasure is in it. And that's why I say all the time, again, like I said before, we talk about money as a church, and it's really, truly, believe me, that it is not because we want something from you. It's because we want something for you. We want you to experience the joy and the freedom and the blessing that comes when our heart and our treasure is aligned. And when, as Jesus said, when we are investing in something that lasts forever. Would you guys bow your heads and would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this morning and uh, first of all, all we have is yours. You created us. You gave us our life. 
you not only gave us our life, but you've given us skills and abilities to use in this life. And when we use those skills and abilities, people give us money. And, uh, and the question really is, what are we gonna do with that money? How are we gonna invest that money? Will we invest it in ourselves? And your word says that you want us to do some of that, that you've given us things for us to enjoy. But is it gonna stop there? Or are we gonna invest in you, in your kingdom, in kingdom work? Are we gonna be part of a family of believers that we believe so passionately is doing your work and making a difference in people's lives and the community that we wanna be financially a part of it? Are we gonna trust you with not only our time and our talent, but with our treasures? Because as you've said, where our treasures are, there our heart is too. Lord, bless us. Give us courage. Help us, um, help us fight against the materialism of the world we live in. And thank you for inviting us to be part of your work. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.